episode 289 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by Learn the Finer Points. Use the link below to save 10% off their ground school app. Aviation, there's a new offer from SiriusXM. Make sure you upgrade your next flight without upgrading your plane by getting the Garmin GDL52 portable receiver. The GDL52 has ADSB traffic and weather plus SiriusXM weather and entertainment. It has Bluetooth and works with Garmin Pilot apps. For a limited time, you can get a $300 rebate on the GDL52 plus. It comes with a free three-month trial of SiriusXM's weather and entertainment. I love flying with SiriusXM, and it's honestly one of my favorite features about having the G5000. So the GDL52 will offer you a very similar outlook on the weather and also get to listen to some awesome radio stations on SiriusXM. So check out the GDL52 at aopa.org slash SiriusXM. Hey, I'm uh, Jared Barkmeyer. Uh, right now I'm a current active duty uh, C-17 pilot and uh, working on my transition to the civilian sector for a major airline here in the next couple months. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is with Jared from Instagram page He Pilots. Jared is a current C-17 pilot in the Air Force and he's getting ready to get out as in what, a couple days I believe it was. It might be mistaken, maybe a week. But Jared is moving on to the major airlines. So we talk pretty much anything and everything Air Force, how he got to where he is today, and how he wasn't really planning on going to the Air Force, and it just kind of worked out, which I haven't heard before, and we do talk about that. So, Jared, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking with you and talking sports and uh, seeing you do your career. So, love it, man. Good luck with everything. Uh, you're really going to enjoy this episode. It was a good one. It's uh, very relatable, and I feel like you'll be able to get a lot out of this. If you like this episode, you can support the podcast by checking out Pilot to Pilot Hats. Just go to boldaviator.com. And search Pilot the Pilot and you will find the best hat in all of aviation. It really does not get any better than that. So go hit up the hats, check them out. And uh, Aviation, that's all I got for you. So I don't want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here's Jared from He Pilots. Jared, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. What's going on, Justin? How's it, how's it going? Thanks for having me. It's going pretty good, man. Uh, you know the kid life. You know the struggle. We were, we were texting about it earlier. I was like, hey, man, 12.45, but maybe later if my kid can't sleep. <laughs> so no, you get the dead life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I text you as a post one has always tired on his forehead. Yeah. He doesn't have kids, but I feel that. <laughs> yeah, I, I 100% feel that. And me and my um, buddies, we work out every morning at 5.40 when I'm home. So uh, I usually hit my, uh, I need my nap right about now. I just try to nap at the same time my kid naps. <laughs> oh yeah i've been there for sure right now my uh, work schedule is lucky during lunch uh all the kids are at school or child care and, yeah uh, i hit it during lunch <laughs> i've been those morning workouts you got to get it in got to, off. got to well cool let's go ahead and get started uh first question i ask everyone is why aviation what was it for you specifically that got you in aviation or want made you want to be a pilot Oh man, I love this question. So I, I think I was incepted by uh, the military. <laughs> I grew up in a small uh, town, uh, born and raised in uh, central New Mexico. And my uh, playground was out kind of on the, in the foothills of the Sandia and Manzano mountains. And it, basically it's just a, there's a VFR crossing the C-130s out of Kirtland Air Force Base. And I was always on the playground, just running around playing, you know, football 500 or whatever it was. And then I'd the C-130 would just fly over pretty low and you just hear those, those engines roaring and just commands your attention and you look up. And I think that was like my, one of my earliest memories of aviation. And I was like, that seems pretty cool. And then back to the game. Uh, and then I just wanted to play sports for as long as I could. I was, uh, I had a lot of athleticism, a lot of thrust, no vector. So I uh, was trying to go D1 any way I could. And um, my dad kind of, the Navy background, just uh, knew about the service academies and said, <laughs> they, uh, if you get in, they'll let you play sports. And I was like, oh, that sounds great because I'm not getting a lot of offers. Um, so I wanted to play sports at the Air Force Academy and uh, ended up walking on the track and field team to uh, throw in there. Um, and then <laughs> kept trying the, the professional career, got into bobsled and skeleton for like a half a year. And then finally I was like, uh, I was like, this isn't going to work out for me. Uh, I'll go back to that first inception love uh, of 
aviation and then got hooked to that ever since. And uh, I'm glad it worked out the way it did for sure. So you just mentioned a lot of sports. So you love sports <laughs> as anything. You just like to compete. It sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Competing in anything I can. Like I said, I'm not naturally gifted in anything other than maybe just for athleticism in some ways, but it really doesn't apply to a lot of things. And that's kind of how that bobsled thing worked out because nobody grows up doing bobsled. I, was, I have to ask, how did you even get started in bobsled? It was like uh, when you were up in the Air Force thing. I'm guessing there's not many bobsled training down in New Mexico. I mean, there <laughs> yeah, are mountains there, not. but... <laughs> Yeah, my uh, one of my uh, mentors in life uh, and his wife, she's an Olympic javelin thrower that went to the Air Force Academy, uh, Dana Lyon Pounds. Uh, she and her husband, Dave, they were instrumental in my life, named my son after him. He was killed in Afghanistan in 2013, but just a little backstory. But um, he, uh, they were at the Olympic Training Center, and I was like, man, I really want – in the Air Force, they have this world-class athlete program uh, where they pay you to be an athlete. So it's like being a professional athlete but you get to compete. I was like, oh, that sounds great. What can I do? And they're like, oh, there's a bobsled guys in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. I was like, that's perfect. What do I got to do? And all you do is basically a combine. These are all these things, a squat test, a clean, a short sprints, all things I was okay at, but didn't really help me in anything other way. So I did the combine and got involved in that and went up to Lake Placid and started getting a little competitive. But then the Air Force uh, was like knocking. They're like, hey, you said you wanted to be a pilot. What is this bobsled thing? I was like, oh, once you tell the Air Force you don't want to be a pilot, it's really kind of hard to go back on. So I kind of gave that up and pivoted back. You can always go back to bobsled, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I was better at skeleton, honestly, because uh, bobsled, you need to be like 240. And I was trimming down, trying to be leaner. And uh, skeleton, you want to be like 215, 210 and tall. So they're like, you should do skeleton instead of bobsled. And I was like, what skeleton? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're like face first. I was like, that sounds dangerous. They're like, it's the safest one. Luge is the most dangerous. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's really funny. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, this is kind of get distracted from your story, but when yeah, I sorry. finished playing football, I, well, I have more to say, so that's good. When I finished playing football, I want, I've always wanted to be in the Olympics. Always. Like, that was my goal to be in the Olympics. And I was like, man, I'm kind of like, like you, like, I mean, I'm a good athlete, but like, I can't run very fast. Like, uh, I'm not the strongest. I just had a really good arm, so I could get by with my arm, and I could think pretty well when I was on the football field. So I was like, all right, what Olympic sports could I do? Uh, and it came down to either, um, I guess there's only one. It was handball. I was thinking handball to go play with um, the United States handball team. And I was listening to Lewis Howes, and he was on the handball team. Uh, but I found out that the USA handball team is absolutely trash, and I decided <laughs> not to waste my time with that. <laughs> well, yeah. So no offense yeah, to any of I think we're about the same, just trying to find our way. And, uh, God didn't give us in too many ways, but we had determination at least. Yeah. Yeah. I took it far enough. Ohio State's good enough for me. I'll take it. Oh no, that's <laughs> epic. When I found out, I was like, man, listen to this guy. And I was like, oh, he has a sports background too. Kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. Like, do we just come best friends? <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> um, yeah. So cool. All right. So you are seeing these C-130s fly over. You instantly know this is something you want to do in the back of your mind. When did it become like a reality that this is something you could do. Like, I know you said in the air force, like, Hey, you want to be a pilot, but was there anything middle school, high school, anything aviation related along those lines? Uh, not really. Like I said, in high school, I was just trying to go to D one sports. And then my, my dad was, my dad actually had to do passion for aviation. So once again, that inception between like my school and my dad, he always wanted to be a pilot. He was on aircraft carriers as a, as an electrician and huge, you know, great role model in my life. So thankful for him. Um, and, when I, so I was like, man, this is like my fallback plan, uh, essentially, which was silly because it's so difficult and challenging. And, uh, this should have been my primary plan all along because I've kind of gotten, you know, punched in the mouth and not taking it seriously in my younger days. Um, but really just late high school, going to the air force academy for the first time, seeing the planes on the, on the terrazzo or, you know, the common area, if you will. And, and, and just seeing the planes fly over just commanded your attention anytime. I mean, um, Malcolm Gladwell's book talks about uh, the bomber mafia just talks about when people fly planes fly over. And you can always tell the people that are pilots cause they always have to look up and I've always been that way. So it's just something you're just in love with. You yeah. don't have to try. You just think about it. You don't think about it. I mean, so one thing everyone I've ever talked to, and I had a really good friend in high school who wanted to go to the Naval Academy. And I mean, it was his whole life. Like since I knew him since he was like three, he wanted to go to Naval Academy, prepared his whole life for that. Um, I hear that's kind of like most people are like, all right, I want to go to an academy from an early, early age. You are kind of the outlier where it sounds like you were late in high school and you're like, I think I want to go to the Air Force Academy. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was just, um, I was, I was always trying to be the best at everything. Like I said, I'll thrust no vector, but I didn't really have, um, any kind of direction. I just wanted to be number one and everything. Um, I was the youngest of three kids, but my older brothers are much older than me. So it's kind of an only child syndrome suffering from that. So, um, when I found out how competitive the Air Force Academy was, that was what drew me into it. Uh, I was like, oh, it's hard to get into. That sounds great. I'll do that. Um, so people just kept saying it was hard. So I instantly was like, oh, well, it's hard. It's probably worth it. So I should probably do that. But yeah, I kind of, I didn't say I fell back into it because nobody does that. You have a lot of work to do, but it was late in life where I was like, okay. It was, and it was six hours from home in New Mexico. So kind of was just far enough to get away, but, um, still had a safety blanket on the weekends. So what was your plan? How did you attack this? Cause like I said, most people have been, you know, applying for this meeting with governors, Eagle Scouts, uh, getting their ratings, like they're doing all this stuff. What was your plan other than just like go full bore and attack it? Uh, it yeah, just I wish I had it. a plan. <laughs> my, my counselor was like, you're kind of behind. It was like junior year. She's like, you're kind of behind the curve on this thing. Maybe you like do community college for years. Like, no, I'm going to do this. And it was, uh, thank God my parents were so helpful because, uh, they were driving me around to meet with the senators and, uh, all that stuff. And they're staying up late so I could finish these essays. And my teachers were helping me write these because they knew um, that I was, <laughs> I was a little late in the game. So I found out late uh, in February, my senior year, and they were like, you got accepted. I was like, all right, let's, let's go for this. <laughs> now, now I play a sport. When you got to the Air Force Academy, did you find out that you were the only one in the whole academy that was like that? Or are there more people that kind of fell into it later? And the reason I asked that is like, in my mind, I feel like a lot of people that are listening that I've always wanted to go. I've always thought it had to be a dream from a young age. You know, there was a couple and they, they, t- they tended to be, I don't know, like lack of a better term, the meatheads. They were just like, I'm here to play sports and everything else. Uh, so we, I would say there's a couple of my really good friends that went, I would say initially for the wrong reasons. Like I'll admit that probably just because it's a challenging place to get into is not the right reason, but we stayed for the right reasons. And that was the service and the camaraderie. Um, so there was a couple, I did gravitate to those people like you're dumb like me. So. <laughs> I love it. That's really smart. Uh, <laughs> be, be the smartest person in your friend group, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. so what sports did you play at the Air Force Academy? Uh, I was going to, my like passion was baseball, but, uh, I walked, I was going to walk on. And then after basic training, I, I had some people in there basically, uh, I didn't think I was good enough. And I was going to, I got punched in the mouth when I got there. I was like, well, everybody's really talented and intelligent. I'm going to fail out. So I should probably just focus on the school thing. So I get kicked out of the Air Force Academy because uh, that was my biggest fear. Um, and then after freshman year, I was doing really well. And I was like, well, this is dumb. I really want to play sports still. Um, and the track coach, the strength or the throwing coach had a, throwing test and my oldest brother threw at the university of Mexico. And he's like, dude, you're a natural thrower. Just like walk on and try. I was like, I haven't thrown hammer. I mean, it's a dangerous thing. Nobody doesn't really in high school in New Mexico. And I went and did, I wasn't very good still, but I was, I had potential. So he's like, you're on the team. Um, and then I didn't really ever own up to that potential, but I was always a great teammate is what I'd like to say on the track team. That's funny. Um, when you, so you kind of have both sides of this. I've always heard at a service Academy that if you're an athlete. It might be a little bit easier. Maybe you kind of get let out of a couple of things that kind of let something slide. Is that true? Or is that something you can't talk about? Is that like the athlete athlete secret there? Yeah, it's funny. They, uh, anytime they, they show like an Academy, uh, football game, they show like the, the day in the life of the cadet athlete. And it starts at like 5.00 AM and the lights out at 11. And we always make fun of it because it is, it is on paper. It looks pretty challenging, but we do get out of some things, but it's always to go down and work out and practice. It's not like we're just in doing nothing down there. Uh, so sometimes we, we get out of like military events um, to go compete or out of class. And it was a nice healthy break. Um, and you're with your friends, like camaraderie and stuff. And if you're a thrower, you're not really, uh, other than the workouts when we lift, you're not super fatigued. It's not like my wife is a sprinter and she'd come, you know, back from every practice after doing 10 by 400s, you know, one on one off rest and she'd just be exhausted. And that's like, uh, I was like, Hey, what's, what's wrong? I just threw for five times and now I'm ready to go back and eat as much as I can to get as big as I can. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. I mean, I could say, I could definitely tell the difference from both of those. It's like uh, being a, a quarterback versus uh offensive lineman where they're working really hard every single day and I'm just dropping back to throw. It's like, hey, why are you guys so tired? <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Exactly yeah. the same, especially coming back on like bus trips. Like I didn't, if I didn't make finals, I threw four times and then she probably ran or the sprinters were running 
three four hundreds you know super tense max and max effort and they're all cramping on the bus or the plane on the way back and we're all, all the throwers are just reading books and having a good time that's funny uh, what was your biggest challenge outside of what you said? You're just afraid you're going to fail out. That was kind of like a big fear for you. What was the biggest challenge you had during your four years at the Academy? Um, I would say I was really like when I was young, I'd compare myself a lot to, to my peers and others. And I, I really needed to grow in that regard to kind of get like meta. I was always trying to be the best um, instead of just being the best version of me. Uh, and when you're kind of thrown into a group of just a lot of really talented individuals and really smart um, athletic, uh, you get humbled really quick. And that kind of was really challenging for me to, <laughs> to know I was a big fish in a little pond growing up. And then when I got to the, the academy, I was just a little fish in a, <laughs> in a big pond at that point. So it was really just to kind of find humility and, um, just grow because there's, like I said, when you're at the academy, so many talented people went there and I mean, people went there and gave their lives and there's all the Vietnam uh, pilot that are all lined the walls and these ultimate sacrifices they did. And you're like, what? I came here for the wrong reasons. And just to, to find my why at the Academy was kind of the toughest part of being there. Because if you don't, if you don't have a strong why, you're not going to stay when it gets tough there. Yeah. What did you do to find the why? Uh, well, I kind of got in trouble. So uh, <laughs> kind of a knucklehead uh, got in trouble. But the good thing about the trouble there is you, they usually, can redeem her the every about rehabilitation period. So uh, I had that six month probation where I got to pick a mentor and with my sports background, I got to pick uh, anyone that was like higher up. So I picked the athletic director of, of a division one school. Uh, his name was Dr. Hans Mew. And he kind of, it's like, all right, dumb, dumb. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> You're obviously uh, need to figure this out. You have talents and brains enough to, to get through here. You just need to find your motivation. He really was a great mentor. Um, and this was like right around 2010 when all the conference alignments were coming. So he would counsel me for like 30 minutes and then he'd, he'd talk about like, oh, Utah's going to the Pac-12. And I was just like hanging on the seat, like had inside scoops on all these conference realignments at the end of the conversations. That's hilarious. I mean, that's awesome that you got to get on that. <laughs> I know. With athletic director, I was like, oh, this is a punishment? Yeah. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever done. Should have gotten more trouble. Exactly. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So we covered sports pretty well. Um, yeah. Competing is great, right? And one of the things that I love about aviation, and this is for me personally, it might kind of go with what you're saying about comparing yourself to other people. Uh, where aviation, you know, you're really comparing yourself to your last flight and how well you did and how you manage people, uh, how you talk to people, whether you're the captain, whether you're the first officer, but you really just compete with yourself over and over and over again. Now, there's fun competitions, maybe like landing competitions. You guys also do crazy stuff that we don't do in the civilian world that you probably compete in as well. But for me, what I loved was just the, the competing with myself every single flight and trying to make it the best possible flight I could. No, that's definitely the, this, I have the exact same mentality where kind of being an athlete or that, that tunnel vision of um, just adrenaline pumping, like every takeoff role is kind of like when you be an athlete and in the zone, whether you're a quarterback looking for the read and everything kind of slows down. Every takeoff, your adrenaline is pumping. No matter, it's still to me to this day, I don't know if everybody gets like that on, in the civilian world, but um, you kind of get hyper-focused um, and that competition of just everything's got to be perfect, obviously, because it's a safety's the most paramount thing in any aviation industry. And you need to be perfect um, as, or as perfect as you can be within reason. Uh, so uh, it really lends itself like an athletic back background lends itself to aviation with those like hyper focused moments of just pure uh, adrenaline pumping at times. Yeah, I know. Right. The times it's like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, when you, so you get the phone call, were you actually in Lake Placid, like doing like runs as uh, in skeleton and bobsled when you got the phone call or what was the deal with that? Yeah, I was a, uh, well, so uh, when I stayed, you know, they have like a grad assistant program at the Air Force Academy after you graduate. And I stayed on as a assistant strength conditioning coach, basically just a grad assistant. Um, coaching uh, baseball, the throwers, basketball, and then golf and wrestling. Um, and so I bought myself essentially seven months to train, which I was training at the Air Force Academy and the premier facilities. If you've ever seen the pictures, I mean, the gym is world-class. I'd say top two or three gyms in the world. Um, and got to train, just fully focused on that. 
and went up to Lake Placid. So I bought myself essentially like seven months of time to train where the Air Force wasn't like caught on to what I was doing essentially because the train line was backed up. So I just picked a later date and they're they cool with that. Um, and I, this is one of the best times of my life. I was just working out and working with athletes all day. Um, so I went out to Lake Placid and I was starting the skeleton runs. Um, and yeah, I was at Lake Placid doing the runs the first few times. It stinks because there's no way to like really practice, um, with someone there safely. They just like throw you down. They're like, good luck. Here's some tips. Um, so we, you'd do a couple of runs a day and you'd just be bruised and beaten from hitting the walls. So you didn't know what you're doing. And after like a week or two at camp, I was kind of picking it up and they're like, all right, you're showing some promise, uh, you, to get the world-class athlete program, you have to have a standard. And the first meet was like essentially when my class date started for undergraduate pilot training. And I was like, and I really had to do some self-reflection. I was like, uh, I think I need to be a pilot. This is, Olympics are cool, but, um, it would take me probably at that time. It was like a, probably a six year iteration based on there were already people doing this. So I'd had to been like God's gift to skeleton or bobsled to jump them, but it was probably going to take like two or two or three Olympic cycles to do Jeez, that. That's crazy. And then you would have been done with pretty much your site. Like that's the only cycle you would have had, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's sort of cool though. <laughs> yeah. Not too late, man. Go back, do it. You well, yeah, those it. people that were in my training group, they were in this last, uh, this last winter Olympics. And I was like, man, I was beating some of you guys, but they obviously <laughs> like, sacrificed so much more and are super talented. Who knows yeah. what happened, but that's crazy. All right. But anyways, you get the phone call. What was, uh, what was it like? What was that receiving that phone call? Be like, Hey, you want to be a pilot, right? You're like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I mean, I was hundred percent enthusiastic because you can't not show interest at the time. People, you know, I, I it's not lost to me that people, you know, like you said, their whole lives. I want to go to the Air Force Academy, a pilot, I want to do all this stuff. So I was like, all right, time to buckle down, go to pilot training. Um, and then nobody really told me how hard pilot training was. I was like, I went to the Academy. That was the hardest thing I'll ever do. I got to pilot training. Lots of dumb, dumb mistakes in the beginning, uh, but set me off. Um, in my aviation career that I've never really had issues since the beginning of pilot training and just kind of buckled down. But it was um, at that time, you're like, all right, let's do this. And I wasn't once again, kind of young and naive. Um, and I was like, well, can't be that hard, but it was. <laughs> I love how you are like, <laughs> you're, you're true and true. You're true to yourself the whole way. Right. You're just like, let's just do it. Like, it's fine. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out how to do it. Get yourself in a, a position, face some adversity and just make it happen. Like, uh, that's commendable. Uh, you might call yourself dumb, dumb, but you clearly can get yourself through it. Uh, so, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy that you were able to, to, to do all that with uh late notice and just kind of going for it. Yeah. I didn't have any, like, um, I had flown an F-16 when I was like a, a 19. I flew in the backseat of it. It's like an incentive program at the academy, but I had no aviation, like stick time other than that. And after I flew in the F-16, I knew I wanted to be a heavy pilot because I'm a little bigger guy. I mean, there's still two big guys that fit in the fighters, but after that flight, I didn't get sick or anything, but I was like, I don't want to be this cramped for hours yeah. on end. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, how come you didn't want to go down the, the fighter pilot route, but glad you answered that question for me. Um, uh, so yeah, so you get the call, you are going, how quick do you have to go to training? We're like, Hey, finish up this, whatever skeleton run and come back. Or they're like, all right, you need to be here uh, Monday at 6am and we got everything going for you. Like I said, I planned it kind of, um, tactfully. So I was doing the, the camp in November, December, like Placid. Um, and then my start date was Jan early January, like on paper. So, uh, I planned it tactfully, but the, the competitions were in January that I needed to start scoring like points or since set the standards. Um, so I was like, okay, we'll come back for, and then over Christmas break, I was, it was either call him and tell him, Hey, I want to go try to do this or show up for, uh, the initial flight screening. And I was like, all right, time to show up. Did you have any kind of second guesses at all? Like, do you think well, I could be in the Olympics one day? The only when I, the Olympics come on, <laughs> when I see those people going down, I was like, I could have done that. But, uh, other than that, I have no regrets. Obviously I I've had my career in C-17 has been amazing and I love it. And all the relationships I've been, I've met or made with the squadron camaraderie. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah, there's teams, but skeleton or bobsled or small, you know, just a handful of people in my squadrons. Like I have, you know, really tight friends from three or four different flying squadrons that I've been in. And that's like kind of um, something that's irreplaceable to me. Uh, no regrets in that regard. Yeah. So tell me how the flight training works. Um, obviously, you didn't have any background other than the F-16 flight. So 
I'm guessing they put you in what, like a 172, maybe for a couple hours, get you familiar, and they just threw you right in. I think it was a DA20. Yeah, basically, I threw a DA20 with some old retired um, crusty aviators, and uh, you, I just remember sitting there. And uh, it's in our initial flight training, initial flight screening at the time was in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. Um, so not too far from where I was living at the time. And uh, they just, just, you have to figure it out. Sink or swim. They give you a sheet. I just remember memorizing radio calls. I had no idea what they meant. They meant wrote memorization. So anytime something went off script, I was toast um, on the taxi. And then in the air, I, I would say, and I've always kind of said this, uh, the athletic background, self-aviation, especially when you're like a thrower or something with fine motor skills, I was always kind of felt how the plane would move a little better. So in the air, I was kind of natural, but I wouldn't study enough at times and I would always get in trouble for that. So <laughs> sounds like me. To a T. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, so funny. Um, so yeah, so you go through this and you said you got a little old crusty, <laughs> you got welcome to aviation the right way. Cause that's how it is with most people. It's like you go up with this uh, really old guy or girl in the, in the plane and they teach you their ways and how to fly. But you weren't with them for too long. That was probably just a quick little intro, like you said. I don't think you get, do you get your private in the DA-20 or no? No, you could like get an equivalent on the side, but it's not like, um, it takes a little yeah. extra effort. So what, uh, how many hours, do you remember how many hours you had in the DA-20 before oh, you transitioned? It was like 30 or 40 okay. tops. Yeah. And then what did you go to after that? And then you go to undergraduate pilot training. So that was about two months later. You start um, in the T-6 Texan. Um, and then for about six months and then you go to a T1 Jayhawk, which is slowly phasing out. It's about six months. Uh, if you're going to do the bomber, um, or sorry, the cargo transport tanker route. And then if you're going to go fighters, you go to a T38, which is a light fighter aircraft. When did you make your decision of what you wanted to do? Or was it not a decision you made? Would you have to apply for it and you get kind of get, uh, rank, like you kind of rank what you want and they rank you. Yeah, definitely. So it's all merit-based. Once you get there, the first six months in that T6, everyone gets uh, graded every day. Um, and then towards the end, you have to pick um, usually the class is 20 to 30 people. Uh, about two-thirds will go the heavy cargo track, and then one-third will go the fighter, roughly, maybe a little less than that, six, six or eight people. Um, and towards the end, yeah, you get a rank. And sometimes if you're not performing well, you get told what to do. Um, I was doing really well, thankfully, after those, those missteps at the beginning. Um, and so I got to pick what I wanted and they were like, you don't want to be a fire pilot. And I said, definitely not. Um, <laughs> so they're like, are you sure? Cause this is weird. Everybody usually wants to do this. I'm like, nope. I want to go fly a big plane. That's see hilarious. The world. I love that. <laughs> You're like, nope, I'm good. Thanks. So I'm good. Thank you. That's so funny. Um, oh yeah. So that's gotta be kind of taboo, right? Everyone just, you imagine if you're at the top of your class or have the choice, you, you can just go straight to the fighters, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, and God bless them there. It's just kind of a different mentality. Fighters, obviously they kind of need that mentality, like more of a fangs out, I call it personality aggressive. Um, kind of like when I was younger, just always wanted to be the best. But when I kind of found my why at the Academy, I found out it was more, uh, I wanted to be around people and crews, uh, or like air crew, I should say, um, and see the world with those people. Cause I'm like too sociable at times. And I felt like if I was just sitting, yeah, you have wingmen and you talk on plane, the interplane and the fighter aircraft and you do have a good squadron camaraderie, but when you're in the plane, it's just you. And that sounds terrifying to me. I, I need someone to talk to <laughs> my, my poor co-pilots are, uh, senior, or captains and I go to the airlines, but I always need someone to talk to. That's really funny. Uh, I mean, that's really cool though. Did you, and you mentioned your mentality changed a little bit when you met your wife, but did it change at all when you're like, did you stick to that? I don't want to be a fighter pilot the whole time. Or is there ever any kind of tug like, you know, that'd be kind of cool to be a fighter pilot. Yeah. Some of my real good friends are like on the baseball team uh, that I, when I was trying out, trying out and all that stuff. And then I stayed great friends with them the whole time. Uh, they were definitely like, I just want to be a fighter pilot, that mentality but from birth. And they would kind of, they'd show me cool YouTube videos. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be cool. And then towards the end, I was like, still, it's the wrong reason. It's just for like a status to me because everybody wants to be a fire pilot. So I was glad that was one of those dumb, dumb mistakes I didn't make. Um, I'm sure I would have, you know, hopefully done well, but uh, yeah, it never changed. There was temptation, but never really changed my mind. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I feel like I would actually agree with you. I don't know if it's because of the size or what, but (laughs) I've never really dreamed about being a fighter pilot. I like similar to you. I dreamed about being a football player. 
uh, playing sports and then piloting just kind of came uh, into my life. Um, so yeah, I probably would have done the same now that I'm thinking of it. Never really thought about it before. <laughs> <laughs> a little introspective. Yeah. Later like, huh, on Tuesday. Wow. <laughs> Maybe I would have done that. <laughs> I'm not Top Gun after all. Yeah. I need to talk to a therapist now. You got me thinking, geez. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. We're going to be deep in here. Um, so yeah, that's really cool though. What was, let's talk about like all of your kind of tracks of training where you've gone. What was the one time you felt like you were kind of drinking from the water hose the most? Um, I would say, um, so when you get to the C-17, big aircraft that we wanted, it was just, I picked it cause it was one of the newer aircraft and it has so many, um, mission sets. So, uh, there's, you know, the typical haul in the mail, cargo around the world, see the world, uh, air land mission, we call it. There's also airdrop. So, uh, where you do, you know, bundle resupplies, um, drop in Humvees out the back all around the world too. Uh, you know, heaven forbid we needed it and paratroopers. <laughs> and so the, that one's probably to go to co-pilot for airland, co-pilot for airdrop. And then aircraft commander for airland, aircraft commander for airdrop. And then the culmination would be a lead upgrade where you can command uh, a multi-ship C-17 uh, formation. So I think it's like, you know, some ridiculous number up to like 30. You can command, but it was a very intensive ground course um, because there's just that many planes in the air. It's very challenging. You really have to think about contingency after contingency if something's happening. Uh, so that one was the, the biggest fire hose. It was uh, like a four-month kind of almost ground planning course. I had to plan a major exercise from uh, the eastern seaboard all the way to uh, uh, the eastern Europe uh, airspace. And it was very challenging. And we just had our first son at the time. Uh, I was just born. It was one of probably the most stressful times in my life uh, <laughs> was that upgrade. Yeah, and talk a little bit about, you know, in the civilian side, we talk about being gone. I'm gone seven days, seven on where you're gone for a couple months if you have to be, or maybe even longer than, than that. So talk about having a family, having a wife who's also in the military and trying to balance everything and make things work. Yeah, we're definitely, um, I mean, we're, we're just, sometimes we're ships passing in the night and, uh, but we've kind of grown up together. Our relationships grown up, um, doing this. Like we didn't, we were married as co-pilots all the way to, you know, evaluators at the formal training unit now. Um, so we've grown together. So it's like all we know. I know it's some people think it's like, how do you do it? Um, it's because a lot of people meet their spouse, um, you know, after they've already got their identity or their job. So they kind of have to mold it to them. But we just had to, this is the only way we could grow was together to do it this way. Um, but there's been challenges and we couldn't do it alone. We have a great support network with my parents and my wife's parents. If there's ever like a deployment we have to take or anything like that. But, uh, it has been stressful. There's been less than stellar nights of sleeping prior to flying, um, you know, never pushing it more than we should, but um, never <laughs> optimize that optimal performance. Um, so it, it has been challenging, but we've grown together. And that's like the only way I can really describe it. It's, it was, we just grew together. So we figured it out. It was the only way. Did you ever feel like you're missing stuff with your kids because of flying or being deployed? Well, obviously yeah. I'm guessing <laughs> being deployed for sure, but yeah, definitely. Um, especially even on like a week trip, they'll pick up something. I'm sure you've seen this. Um, they'll just pick up something. You're like, Hey, you didn't do that a week ago. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of sad. Um, but it, I do try to have the positive mindset and you know, maybe this is just me spending it. But when I get my time to myself and fly on a trip, when I get back, I feel like I'm a better husband and a better father. So I had that time to myself. Um, and then as opposed to like some people and we do this kind of here because we're just flying around the flagpole training some of the younger generation. But uh, when I'm just constantly in it, I feel like I'm not as engaged as I, as I want to be. Um, but when I'm home for after a trip, I'm just, you know, phones away, I'm engaged all night playing. We're doing crazy stuff uh, because I just, my batteries are recharged. So I, I try to treat it as a positive, but there are times where you're just looking at phones on, uh, looking at pictures of your kids on the, on the road. You're like, Oh, I need to quit. How do I get out of this? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely feel that pain. I think it's one of the the harder things that they can tell you how difficult it is when you have kids. Uh, but it it's harder than even what people say it is just trying to, cause I always feel like I'm missing something. Uh, I don't know how, like when my kids are almost two years old now, so he's just starting to talk, but it's like, how is this affecting you that I'm gone so much? You know, it's just like, it's sad and makes you think about so many different things. No, yeah, you really do 
tug at your heartstrings at times, especially when they're like, where's daddy going? Or like, when's mom going to be back? Or if ever, like, you know, the plane breaks and you're stuck out a couple extra days and you set the expectations. Those are the toughest ones. Like I'll be on Friday, you know, I'm on Friday. Those, those kill them. Yep. Absolutely. Oh man. So yeah, that's something that I think is important for people to know when um, you're coming up, because when you start training, you obviously not, most of the time don't have a kid. So it's just kind of you, maybe you're not even married, maybe you're not dating. So you can not necessarily be selfish, but you can just focus on yourself and you add a partner into it. And then you really need to take an account what they want and, and be very open because this career is hard on partners, let alone kids. So it's really hard. And it's something you really need to think about when you're looking into this is like, do I want to do this as a career? And you need to be very intentional about who you meet, uh, who you marry and how you raise your kids because it's, it's a lot. No. Yeah. And it's a great disclaimer. Like obviously we've had, tons of, um, tribulation and strife and, uh, you know, there's fights and there's bad days, but there's good days. Um, so it is a disclaimer of saying like, Hey, this is what you're getting into. And, um, the important thing is like, um, to know that about yourself and then know that that's what you're kind of going into, but anything that's, you know, difficult and challenging is usually worth it. And I, and I really agree, but same thing as like with your peers, I, I did talk about flying on a cruise a bunch, but you're going to be flying like as an FO here shortly, I know I'm going to be flying with a, a captain that's been through furloughs, been through life, been through um, divorces, been through whatever. Um, and then if I'm just like, man, I miss my kids. Like, yeah, we all do, man. So we've all had our problems. Um, but just knowing that like people are going through the same thing with you or they've had their challenges is, is helpful too, because you're not, you're never really alone in this community. No, just might be a weird personality. You got to talk to you for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> that's funny. Let's take a break from today's episode and hear from our sponsor, RAA. If you're like me, you might wonder, am I saving enough for the financial future I want flying? That's when I check with RAA's free retirement paycheck calculator and you'll want to as well. Based on a few simple financial factors, I get an instant snapshot of how much I could expect to receive each month in retirement, and if I'm falling short of my goals, adjustments I can make to get my savings strategy back on track. It's quick, easy, and free. Try it today at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Um, Coming through, so you have been military for how long? How long have you been in the military for? Uh, 11 years now. Right. So and if the academy, I guess, doesn't really count, but it, I, 15, I guess, total. Okay. And so, then for the full retirement, is that 20 years total? Yeah, 20. But the like I said, the academy doesn't count. So I'm like, if I stayed in and separated soon, it would be nine more years oh, till right. full retirement. So Is that like a big no-no? Or you think maybe the guard one day? Or you think you're done, done for sure? Uh, no, I'm uh, transitioning to the Air Force Reserves because I, I I love flying this plane so much, uh, so kind of do that on the side. Um, I feel like I have still a lot to give to the community, and then you know, if something heaven forbid terrible went off, I like definitely want to be there and supporting our country. I still have that patriotism bone, I guess. Absolutely, that's awesome. Um, I was going to ask is when you were coming from your the end of your kind of military career, and you realized that you had the opportunity to leave, was it difficult for you? Was it like this is all you've known for for? 10 years, maybe more counting the Academy. Right. So what kind of went into this decision, uh, to, to leave or to, to move on and, and start uh, a civilian career and also go in the reserves? I think it was just the, the family aspect. Uh, I talked about my upbringing and, uh, just never growing up in one place and never moving. Um, and that's just a value system that I have grown up with, uh, I value not moving around and the military is not really conducive to that. They, they do have flexibility in some ways, but um, being able to move and just settle down, has just always really been in the back of my mind of separating from active duty when I could. Um, I still love to serve. I still have a passion. I love the camaraderie, but my, I started to put my family first and uh, every move in the military, someone says to you, your kids are resilient. They'll be fine. Um, and that, every time I hear that just kind of eats at me. And I don't think it's not true, but I, what other choice do they have? They have to be resilient. So my goal is just to move one more time and then be done moving for my children's sake for their lives. So they can grow up with that structure. And then I have to make new friends every two years. because It's already happening. My, my son's five and he asked like, Hey, when are we going to see our friend again? And I was like, man, he lives you know eight hours away. So I'll get flight benefits. So we'll do that. But uh, I, I'm tired of, you know, having them suffer. They didn't like pick this, you know? So 
have you guys picked where you're going to move to? Yeah, we're going to move up to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we're going to live in uh, kind of Seattle, Tacoma area. So trying to get domiciled out of there um, because that's where our reserve unit is. The joint base lives in McCord. Um, so kind of, you can not commute. Obviously commuting was an on-starter for us. we lived up there previously. I love the rain. I love the cold. Uh, I love, uh, just kind of the, the ocean vibe. <laughs> I'm happier when I don't see the sun. I'm a weird guy like that. Uh, so that's funny. I'm very excited. Yeah, that's where we differ is I need the sunshine, man. <laughs> uh, give me no rain. Give me no snow. Give me no clouds. Give me the rain. I think growing up in New Mexico kind of destroyed me because it was like 300 days of sun and you're always hot. I just remember football practices, like praying for clouds to come over because it was just unrelenting sun. And it like it broke, it broke my brain. So I need, I need overcast. Well, it's good. Tell there. The Northwest is a good place to go for that because you're not going to get very much of it. Yeah. And then like, they do say when you fly, you get above it, you know, so at least it's not like debilitating all the time. Uh, does family live up in the Northwest as well? Or would that be a little bit of a challenge for childcare? Not really. Uh, we're going to have to get creative, probably do like an au pair or a live nanny or something uh, for, you know, we're, we're going to be juggling four schedules when we're just doing two. So we're definitely uh, going to have to get creative. Um, when you were coming out, did you take any, or when you were coming out of the military, I should specify, did you take <laughs> any, um, let me rephrase that. We can edit that out. Cause I don't want to. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say when you're transitioning. So that also, oh, yeah, that that's too. also a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So your time, like we said before, your time is, is ready to be done with the military. Did you take any kind of courses or anything? Does anything prepare you for civilian or they're like, all right, this is how you get a job at an airline. This is how you get a job here. Or is it kind of similar to how your track has been? It's like, well, I'm leaving now. So I need to hurry up and get a job. Yeah. Well, thankfully this one, uh, they're, I'm kind of at my formal training unit. There's no shortage of people uh, doing the same thing we're doing right now. So there's a lot of called gouge, you know, um, about the process, but I did go to my ATP, um, in, uh, Atlanta at the Delta airlines campus, which was a great program. And just kind of getting to see the behind the scenes of commercial airline operation was just, a, uh, was magnificent. I loved it. Uh, I fell in love with just kind of the logistics of it all. Uh, immediately was kind of nerding out on that. Um, so that was the only really training I've done equivalent. And then we can basically a lot of our, especially in a multi-engine um, C-17, we, a lot of our hours do transition to equivalent. So just have to take some tests to get the, oh, excuse me, to get like a CFI and uh, all the basic bare minimum ratings to, to apply to a major air carrier. So you just have to transition your ratings themselves. So you have to have like a, a private and instrument commercial ATP, all those, or are those all kind of transition over already? Yeah. Yeah. You basically just have to take the test, but they're, uh, um, your, all your hours transition over. So you still have to take the test and study and do them that way. But they luckily a lot of the stuff does transition over. Like I didn't have to study too hard. There was still some stuff that I had no idea. Like, Still 121, 135, 91. People throw those. And I'm like, we're talking about weights. What are we talking about here? <laughs> like 225. That's how you can do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what, when you say test, was it just a written test or did you have to actually do a flight exam? The written test. Uh, there is a, if I did, I didn't get my full ATP. Uh, I just did the written exam uh, because a lot of the major airlines you know, are not requiring. You know, United just came out with their new military um, transition program, which essentially says you don't need anything other than your pilot wings and we'll, when you get here, you'll do the rest. You'll do the test here. We'll get you certified by an FAA, FAA instructor um, when you come through our training program, just because they're trying to make themselves as um, marketable to our skill set as possible and reduce those barriers that were kind of just a pay to play the game, get the certificates when they already knew our kind of training background. There's no short, there's no secret military pilots what we go through. Um, so they, they do value our skills in some ways that's crazy like what a time to be pilot right like it's it's absolutely incredible that you could just have the ability uh to pretty much go to united delta um right off the bat you know it's it's so cool and, and i'm pumped that it's like that because it hasn't been like that forever and it probably won't be like that in the future too because as you know and i'm sure you've been told there's so many ups and downs in this industry where it seems so great. It seems like I can never go back and then what COVID hits and then it takes a huge step back but now it's taking a huge step forward so it's wild. There's not much like the aviation industry. No, yeah. I, I don't even, I was trying to think of like some equivalents, um, just ebbs and flows this much. Like, uh, I'm sure there's something someone could think of, but 
Yeah, it is. What a time uh, to be alive, as Drake says. But uh, it is. It really is. Uh, um, very fortunate. You know, I wish maybe like a year earlier would have been perfect, but uh, I'm not going to be greedy with uh, some of this hiring wave. I'll take it. I also think it's the first podcast that someone has mentioned Post Malone and Drake. So we got that going for it. <laughs> I'm a young soul. I got young crew members that I got to stay with it or they, uh, they'll phase me out pretty That's quick. That's hilarious. So. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's talk about meeting your wife and kind of um, how that has changed you and, and helped you out. Like, I mean, I've seen Instagram, follow both of you guys. Um, she is in the same, she in a C-17 as well. Do you guys fly together in the military? Yeah, we're in the same plane, same background, like, like I said, kind of same track the whole way. Um, and yeah, she's, she, we can't fly together. Um, there's rules that you can't fly, operate the same aircraft at the same time. It's like saving private Ryan kind of rules back in the day. Um, so they haven't gotten rid of that. We can fly formation together. Uh, so we flown formation together, which is pretty cool. You know, taking two, um, 500,000 pound airplanes and flying them, you know, a couple, like a thousand, 2000 feet apart from each other. Um, so that's kind of neat. Yeah, we've done some sim. Oh, we can do our simulators together. So we've done some simulator evals, but yeah, we met on the track team. She was a, a hurdler. Like I said, she was actually recruited and a pure D1 athlete had offers other places, um, where I was just a knucklehead. So kind of, I definitely pursued her more than she pursued me. And, um, we, uh, got married during pilot training, not always together. There's ups and downs. Like nobody, there's no fairy tales here. Um, but you know, just been our whole career, um, together at this point and just making it work. She's, you know, she's taking a backseat sometimes because of having children. Obviously some rules can't fly. So I definitely, I'm very appreciative of that. I know she's passionate, great aviator in her own right. And one of the, honestly, one of the only moms that I know that flies is like, not, I'm not saying proficient, but this is committed a lot of moms will sometimes use that shield and rightly so I'm not shorting them or shaking them um, for doing so, but she still really values her, her career and her job and she's still a great mom. So I don't know how she does it all. Sometimes I'm like, wow, <laughs> I can't, how do you have the energy? Yeah, no, for real. It's like, I'm tired and yeah, I totally get that. I, I can imagine. Um, when you guys were going through training together, um, was it better to have someone that's going through the same things together? Was it harder? Kind of talk about the difficulties of that. I'd say it's both good and bad. There'd be days where it's like, I don't want to talk about this more. So me, she'd be like trying to bounce something off. I was like, I don't want to talk about this. You know, we talk about anything else. This is all I've done all day. And I don't want to take it home with me. Um, but other times it's like, Oh, Hey, this weird thing happened to me. And then you can like, I think obviously we've, you know, had a great career um, by most statistics. And I think the reason of that is we bounced a lot of problems instead of just keeping them in our head, we bounced them off each other. And like, oh, I never thought of that. And there are times where it's like, dang it, how did she know that? And I did it. Um, but at the same time, it's just like your hubris. You need to put that in check. Like, yeah, she's amazing. She's intelligent. She's awesome. Um, you should be glad. Like, if she was not your wife, you would love to have a friend that would be this candid and open with you about some of the aviation troubles they have, as opposed to always trying to be like, oh, you didn't know that. I have that kind of that background. So. It's been good and bad um, at times. Was there any competition between the two of you? Was it like, oh, I'm better pilot than you, I'm higher than you, or anything like that? <laughs> uh, well, luckily in pilot training, we were in different classes. We never really had to directly compete against each other for planes, so that was nice. Uh, so, um, so no, not really. There's never People do ask us, like, who's a better pilot, and I always say her, and I, I truly believe that because she's that is the smart uh, one, but she's had to... She, like even if we're equal, she's—I'd say she's had more barriers just because she's had less time than me because she was out of having children, right? So, uh, and, and it's no—it's not lost on me on, on this male-dominated career field that's thankfully becoming definitely a lot more female. Um, uh, I'd say involved, if you will, and she has been a huge proponent in that with her her Instagram and just people see her and they're like, "Wow, this little blonde bubbly girl can do this." I know I can. Um, people like her and Sam, I know you had Mace on your podcast recently, but those females that are just breaking down barriers have been huge and I'll always be her biggest cha uh, like champion in that regard. I love it, dude. Good job, man. <laughs> She's trained you well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, mean, I mean it. I do mean it. I know it sounds like, like man, yeah. this husband's crap, but it's true. I mean it. Um, when you guys are deployed, was it ever similar deployments? Was it all different deployments? How does that work with, with being married? 
Yeah, we were all deployed together, um, done three, you know, three to four month deployments. So it's over a year total. And then we did like one month kind of long extended TDY, uh, temporary duty, I should say. Um, and we did two without kids. So that was kind of easy. And the third one uh, was with our oldest son was just turning two. And that one was the toughest one, I'd say, because that was December of 19 to March of 2020. So we obviously knew COVID was kind of kicking then. And then we missed Christmas for our son. Um, he doesn't remember or anything, but obviously we do. Um, and then that was really kind of a tumultuous time in the Middle East too, prior to COVID. And that was like the first time where I was really kind of, um, I was in Afghanistan at the time doing a, a kind of a on the mail mission, nothing crazy. Um, and then the, the missile strikes were happening in, um, after retaliation from Iran to Iraq. Uh, and they were targeting our base that we were, that she was at at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is getting too real. Um, it's not always sunshine and rainbows and you're prepared for that, but, uh, mentally you think you are, but when it starts happening and you know, she's maybe in danger, uh, that was like, okay, maybe we don't need to be doing this at the same time. Uh, maybe one of us stays home. Uh, it was, it was a very crazy time in our lives. What was the, um, no, that's definitely, that's insane. <laughs> like I can't imagine, <laughs> like it's gotta be. I mean, I don't want to say easier, but it's got to be so much easier when you just have yourself to think about, you know, like, all right, I'm in danger, but not the person I love is in danger too. You know, it's like, it has to be so much more difficult when it's uh, the other person. Yeah. Cause you really do need to actively like put that away and compartmentalize at times. And I know some like therapists would say compartmentalization is bad at times, but like I had to go fly missions that night and they were challenging missions too. Um, for, especially for our skill set, you know, um, what we were doing in Afghanistan at that time, but, um, oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, there are different, difficult, uh, missions. And at the same time I had to compartmentalize and just be like, I got to focus on this. Like, there's nothing I can do. Uh, you know, she's, she'll be as protected as she can be. Um, but if I, if I let this creep in this, this thought, the self doubt, I won't focus on something that I'm doing that's challenging. And that is aviation is a dangerous game. So you do, it is easier if you're just like, Oh, you know, they're at home. People do have, and I'm not minimizing, people do have issues with their, their spouses or their kids back at home. And those are real issues too that you might have to think about, but it is different when you're both out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, everyone has their issues, right? But not everyone has their issues of their loved one being on a base that's getting bombed. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but I mean, yeah. Some people have life or death issues uh, in, in, in other ways and it's all hard. Like every, everyone goes through their own trials and tribulations and they are all difficult in their own right. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, like I said, in aviation, you kind of just got to put those away. Like don't let them creep into your mind because any distraction or, uh, you know, detriment to your situational awareness could, could be costly. Unfortunately. What was, um, if you, I don't know if this is the right question, but if you had to rate your deployments, what would you, how would you rate them? Not necessarily from like how you, like, I know that you, the one you said you're with your kid would probably be the hardest one, but from the type of, of stuff you did from the flying you did from the actual deployment itself, how would you rate them? I would say the last one where it was the most challenging uh, was the most rewarding because we were, we were, you know, very experienced. We were um, doing more challenging things. We did a combat airdrop and formation, which are kind of rare in our community uh, currently, which is a good thing, honestly. Um, um, and we're doing um, landings into dirt airfields carved out of the, you know, in Syria, car- just carved out of the earth. Um, so we're doing some challenging things and that, that's what we trained for. So we finally got to do it. It's very exciting. Um, so, and we were experienced, so we weren't just getting told we were kind of leading the charge in a lot of ways. Um, so that one was like probably my most rewarding, even though it was the most difficult. Um, but the most fun was our second one, um, because we deployed with another married couple that's kind of been our role models. They were, he was on the football team at the Academy. Um, it was a D end. He's like, you know, you know, all Mount West or whatever. And his wife was really talented volleyball player too. And they were kind of like, and they were C-17 couple. And they, were, they were the example for us. Like, Hey, if they can do it, we can do it. And we got to deploy with them. So it's like deploying with your kind of idols and we were flying missions with them and they were a little less complicated at the time. So we were having a really good time. So that one was like our most fun, I would say. And they were in charge of a lot of the things. So it was, we didn't have as much responsibility. And then our first one was probably the worst just because we didn't know what was going on. We were young, um, inexperienced, messing up at times. Um, and we were, you know, deployed to this crappy place and you didn't know how to make it fun. But the second appointment, you figured out how to make it fun. Third one, for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good skill to have is to figure out how to make any situation fun. Not everyone has that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can either be miserable all the time or you can, you can try to find the, the fun in life. So that, that's cool that you guys are able to do that. Um, what was, if you can talk about it, what was kind of the, the sketchiest? Did you have any like really sketchy flights or like totally not trying to get yourself in trouble or anything like that? Any, any issues at all on deployments or any flights at all that, that went down? I mean... I've been like shot at a couple of times, but usually you don't know afterwards. You're like, Oh, there's a bullet in the plane. Um, and so you're not like, it's kind of sad, but you're like, Oh, I didn't see that. Um, I would say my last one weird, we were, we were kind of pulling stuff out of Afghanistan already. Um, there were more challenging, or, um, you know, just missions for me. Um, and I was the whole, I had no one to look to, to my left or my right. Like I was in charge. People were looking to me. Um, so they were more complex and difficult in the regards of just like timing and managing crews and then weather was getting involved uh, on some of these and managing and crew members were getting like sick. It was crazy. Um, and then I know my wife, she, on that one, she was doing a trip to Mongolia um, and her, one of her crew members had appendicitis uh, and had to get his appendix removed in Mongolia. Uh, and it was like negative 30. And so my wife, as the aircraft commander was navigating the Mongolian healthcare system, trying to get this guy care, um, and then they were trapped and they were basically trapped in Mongolia because you have to go through China, um, to get to Mongolia, uh, and our relationship with China wasn't the best. So they would like revoke our diplomatic clearances. So those were the most challenging, like there's just so much you have to balance in some of those, those missions, uh, not just tactically getting shot at, but, uh, the safety and the timing of it all. It's, it's pretty challenging at times. What a time to have appendicitis <laughs> on a deployment in an airplane on the way to Mongolia and. I can't think, I mean, I don't know how great the Mongolian healthcare system is, but uh, I would like to think I'd like a different country <laughs> to have my appendix removed, but, you know, hopefully everything went well. Yeah, I think he was fine. He did this, he to go home a little early from that deployment, yeah. Um, but yeah. At right least so. story. Yeah, right. <laughs> you ever been to Mongolia before? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> That's funny. Lost my appendix there. You want to hear the story? Yeah, yeah crazy story. It was, uh, it was over Christmas too, so. Oh, dang. Merry Christmas to him. Yeah. <laughs> and your wife. I'm sure that was a lot. That was very difficult on her too, trying to coordinate all that. Yeah. No, we FaceTimed our son over Christmas morning and uh, she was in Mongolia. I was in Afghanistan and our son was in Hawaii. So it was like, Merry Christmas. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> oh man. All right. Yeah. I mean, every, every flying job has, a, has adversity in it, right? Like you're probably going to get to the airlines and you're immediately be like, that's it. Like, that's a, that's a bad day. <laughs> like, this is great. It's the best decision I ever made. But then in 10, 15 years, when you start forgetting about being shot at, you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I, this happened. And this is the worst day ever. <laughs> it's going to be really funny how, how fast kind of, uh, you can kind of get used to what the issues are here versus what they were back in the air force days. Yeah. And I'm excited for that. I know you see all these like stories about, you know, passengers and whatever and commercial airlines. But I, like I said, my background is I'm a people person. So people, even before like FedEx and PS stopped firing, I was dedicated to, to, to flying with passengers. Uh, I, th I think it's really rewarding um, to, to be a part of people's lives. I know sometimes we're just bus drivers, um, but we are responsible for people's safety and um, we do kind of inspire the next generation, whether we, whether we know it or not, that's kind of why I have a social media presence. I didn't do it on purpose for like the followers of the clout, I was just posting things that were fun to me. Um, and I really got positive feedback when people asked me like, how do you do this? And that was just always a rewarding aspect. So I don't want to lose sight of that. Hopefully when I'm like a 15 year captain or something like that, <laughs> I want to keep having a positive image. It is challenging. I'm not going to lie, but, um, hopefully I keep that paying forward. Absolutely. And I know we got a, a little bit of time left, so we'll go fast, but talk a little bit about your Instagram and kind of what you do and people can follow you and, and kind of talk yourself up. Oh yeah. So, uh, like I said, uh, Instagram kind of was an accident. I was just posting videos that I thought were cool. I was in Hawaii at the time COVID was kind of happening. So I was just posting short videos of us flying, um, with cool music. And that was just something I liked personally. And then one or two videos went viral and then I just get DMs about, Hey, what is this? How do you do this? How do you become this? And I was like, Oh no, what did I do? Uh, but my personality is like, I want to help people. So if people ask me, I'll always help them. I've taken times for DMs as much as I can uh, talk to not detract from my, you know, my duties as a father or husband or, you know, in the military, but try to pay it forward um, because I didn't learn any of this by myself. 
people taught me. I found this, there's the secret sauce is people telling you what the secret sauce is. Um, and it shouldn't be this like mystery. How do I become a C-17 pilot? Um, and, and unfortunately, um, back in the day, it was like, you had to do it your own way. Um, and I, and I, and there's some, there's some commendable stuff in that. Like it, when something's hard and you, and you persevere and you did it all by yourself, it is more rewarding, but this generation, they, and still kind of my generation also identify with, we see people doing things and we want to do that. Um, we're much more visual. So that's kind of why I do what I do. And then, um, I'm just trying to, like I said, pay it for as much as possible because I don't think it should be as hard to figure out how to, to fly or how do I, you know, join the military. I don't want to go talk to a recruiter. I just want to talk to this person that I see that I, I that I identify with in some sort of way or has some kind of personality. Um, and then I just want to ask them how to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, the truest way to say it. It's like a lot of people kind of get the job that they have based on who they know, connections they have, friends they have. Um, because they know what it takes to get there. If you don't know what it takes, it makes it so incredibly hard, as you have learned from going into the Air Force Academy with like, I don't know what's going to I just know it's hard. You know, like if you could have had a little bit more of an insight and in how everything was going to go, I'm sure you would have really greatly appreciated that. So it's, um, it's very helpful. And when you have the ability or you've been blessed with the ability to go through and experience some amazing things, it is on you to go show that to someone else. Like you should not gatekeep that and keep that to yourself. You should go help as many as people as you can, or even help one person and then they go help someone else and you just kind of like spread it that way. But it's very important to remember that. So that's good. Yeah. The pay it forward aspect. And I don't think anybody in aviation should not have that mentality because we, nobody gets here by yourself. Um, you know, I mean, maybe you did more on your own, you paid it your own way and studied, by yourself more, but you still have an instructor, right? You always have some evaluator instructor imparting their knowledge into you. So it's your duty to make the next generation better than you ever were. Hopefully. What is, um, this is the last question I asked for. I'll do some, uh, fat rapid fire questions, but what is the most, what's something about transferring to civilian airline that scares you the most or that you're most nervous about in this transition? I mean, most nervous would probably just be like, it's so different. Someone showed me their, their schedule. Um, and like, I know when a trip's coming like a couple of weeks in advance for the most part, or I know what I'm doing with, you know, the students, like it's kind of rinse and repeat groundhog day. Some of these flights, um, but just, you don't know, you get like, especially when you're sitting in reserve at the beginning of the day, like I'm going to go to Boise today, or I could be going to Raleigh. And I just don't know anything about the airport. Um, usually I have much more time to prepare. And I know some, someone's going to be like, Oh, those are easy airports to fly into, but just the, the unknown of your day is going to be kind of crazy. You don't know what issues you're going to have. Um, right now I'm very proficient and can and I have a canned flights and, I'm confident with that, but I'm just going to be, uh, you know, during the headlights some of those days. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you should, uh, you should look at a fractional pilot's job. You should see my job where it's like literally every hour it changes. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you'll get used to that very fast. So the good thing is that that's something that you'll be overcome. You'll get used to it in a couple, couple weeks, couple trips, who knows, and I'll be all good there, but that's definitely different. Um, but it's nothing you can't overcome. All right, let's knock these out real quick and then we'll go. Uh, you ready? Boom. Boom. What's your favorite airplane ever made or you've ever flown? Uh, I mean, C-17, that's just cop out. That's, yeah, that's fine. Do you have an airliner that you have uh, ever like wanted to fly or just really wanted to be on? I mean, the A350, just, I don't know, it's just stance. I like planes that have stance. So yeah. I want to fly that. Um, what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen if you have one? Uh, the 707. Ooh, that's a good one. Not many people say that. Something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Uh, it's hard. Like, it's not just <laughs> Top Gun. It's not just flying. Yeah, dang it. <laughs> Who in the industry would you like to meet most? Oh man. Um, I guess just this kind of recency, but I, I do bigger and seems like a really cool guy. Yeah. Bigger. All right. There you go. Bigger. I've talked to him. He's cool. Uh, what's your favorite thing about aviation? Um, the constant need to um, monitor things. Like I have kind of not ADD, but I need to always be looking at something in aviation. There's always altitude, airspeed, uh, yeah. you know, you got plenty Spanking, of work out. All that attitude. <laughs> then you get the big screens with synthetic vision and you're like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Yeah. Yeah. We've been hunting, so yeah. it's like epic. Yeah. Would you have thought IFR or VFR? Uh, VFR all day. Favorite airport to land at? Ooh. 
Any, any airport in America, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah. I, mean, I do love traveling the world, but now it's like, I can land in Cleveland today. That sounds great. I've never been to Cleveland. All right. I'm going to have to have, have you back on in about three years. And I'll ask you the same question. You're like, man, Cleveland okay. sucks. I Cleveland hate it. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland's great. If anyone's in Cleveland, I apologize for Cleveland's great. <laughs> I almost moved there. So it's all right. Uh, would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or the city or ocean? Oh man. Uh, mountains for sure. What's your favorite airport food? So let's say uh, you're making a 30 minute turn at your airline. You have restaurants in the, uh, just like fast food restaurants. What do you want to go get? What's your well, go-to? I'm going to Chipotle all day. All right. Well, Airbus or Boeing? The Airbus? I guess I got to say now. I want Airbus. <laughs> Would you rather fly long trips or short trips? And what I mean by that is you're in a C-17 flying as long as you possibly can on one flight or do as many touch and goes as you can in one day. I would rather just back and forth to Boise from Seattle like right. 10 times a day. What was the hardest check ride you ever took? Ooh, um, my aircraft commander airdrop check ride. Biggest regret of your career so far, if you have one. Oh man, no regrets with the R A G A. No regrets. What's no the regrets. biggest win of your career? Biggest win? Uh, finding my wife. Oh, dude, you are you're playing it up, man. I love it. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's the truth. Kidding. I yeah. swear. No, I love it. I love. It. I would have said the same thing. Uh, favorite airline uh, for you to fly on to so say. Uh, you want to go travel across the world. Uh, what airline would you want to go on? And you can't oh, say man. like the government airline, like Omni or wherever, the, however they transport <laughs> crew. Definitely not. Uh, I mean, the Delta difference, man. Delta is awesome. I got first class from uh, Hawaii to, uh, I think it was LA. It was just amazing. Yeah. All right. What's the hardest flight you've ever flown? Ooh, uh, I did in the snow from uh, Bagram Air Base to Jalalabad in the winter. Um, and on MEGs, it was just the craziest day in my life. <laughs> What's your favorite flight you've ever had? Favorite flight? Um, I think our final flight, or they call it a Finney flight in Hawaii, uh, with my wife got to do formation through the Hawaiian Islands and just kind of she was in the lead and I was literally just chasing her all day, uh, kind of like normal life. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, Jared, I know you got to go in three minutes. So that's all I got for you. I uh, appreciate the time today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we'll stay in touch. And if you have any questions, hit me up, man. Oh, no. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate any time you want me back or if any followers or whatever have specific questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, I do want to help as much as possible. Cool. Sounds good, man. Well, have a go and I appreciate it. Thanks. We'll see you, man. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, like I said, go to Bold Aviator and check out the Pilot to Pilot hat. You can check out Pilot's Coffee, pilotscoffee.com. And you can, of course, take someone's phone and subscribe to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. I think we have the issue fixed. Uh, iTunes is now playing the podcast. Spotify has the podcast. Uh, I think the secondary players are kind of an issue right now. So I don't know what happened, but working through some technical difficulties. So if you haven't listened to the last three podcasts, those are the ones that have been affected. Go check them out because they're all good ones. Aviation, hope you're having a great day. And as always, happy flying. Pilot to Pilot LLC is compensated to make recommendations to his or her followers regarding the services of RAA or Allworth Airline Advisors, companies of Allworth Financial, LP, or Allworth. Promoter is not an employee or investment advisor representative of Allworth. Promoter is a current client of Allworth. Allworth-based promoter fee of $4,000 a month for sponsorship of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Due to the compensation arrangement between Allworth and Promoter, Promoter has an incentive to recommend Allworth resulting in material conflict of interest. Promoter's role on behalf of Allworth is limited strictly to making recommendations regarding the services of Allworth, introducing or referring prospective clients to Allworth. Promoter has no responsibility with respect to Allworth's investment advisor or other advisory services. 